Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today is a wonderful, wonderful day. The Schoolhouse Podcast is always jumping. All right. So you guys know the objective of this Schoolhouse Podcast is to provide a safe place for educators. As we all know, during the pandemic or as a matter of fact, we're still in a pandemic. You know, a lot of educators were leaving the profession. Um, educators across the world are wanting a raise and just wanting an outlet. You know, it, mental health is becoming a popular theme in education in our society today. Um, so this is just an outlet to provide for educators. But enough of me talking. We're about to go ahead and dive into today's podcast. I will allow my guests to introduce herself, her name, um, and her credentials, etc. Hi, Dre. Thank you all so much for having me. <clears throat> um, my name is Savvy Demers. I am the current executive director of MassQ, which is Massachusetts Computer Using Educators. It is an ed tech nonprofit in the state of Massachusetts. Mm, okay, okay. Got you. And can you tell the audience where where did you where did you attend school? Where did you get your um, degrees in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm originally from Maine um, and uh, got my undergraduate degree in physics from Colby College, then moved on to get my master's at the University of Maine um, in uh, STEM education. And I am currently um, in the process of getting my doctorate at the University of Massachusetts, Boston um, in urban education, leadership and policy. Oh, let's go. Future doctor in the <laughs> building. Oh, let's go. That's a major move. Thanks, congrats on congrats on uh making that the making that the decision. Making Thank that you. decision. So I always like to ask, you know, you could have chosen any other field. You know, you could have dedicated your life or you know, your time, your hours, um, your energy to other professions, high-paying professions like a doctor. Um, a lawyer and just so many, so much more out there, you know, business, all of that good stuff. But you chose education. Why? Why did you choose education? That's a great question. I think a lot of times for educators, um, it's more of <laughs> education chooses you. Um, I, a lot of times I uh, have a fervent passion for science and math and um that's what my background was in. And then um, I took an internship in undergrad, which I just think is, is just an awesome opportunity for anybody to go try the field that you think you want to be in. Um, and I got this amazing internship at NASA in California, and it was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and um, But I realized that the thing I loved most about physics, about astrophysics, which is my my personal passion, um, was sharing it with other people. And while there are incredible astrophysicists out there doing awesome research, um, it was really I wanted to share the, that information with others. Um, and so I got an opportunity to go get my master's uh, in science education and did a year a, a little over a year at the science museum in boston which was also a blast uh and then finally the the classroom called my name and i was there for about 10 years uh just having an absolute blast 
um, teaching kids. And um, now it's time to move on. And so I've moved on to make sure that educators have all the tools that they need to give students the best experience possible. Mm, got you, got you, got you. And, you know, speaking from you, you will be the perfect person, you know, like you saying, you providing resources for educators, being that you was you were a classroom teacher for 10 years. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into that. How was it? I always like to ask, how was it for your your first year of teaching for your first year of teaching? How was that for you? Oh, a first year teaching is like riding a wave. Like you just have to let it take you and do the best you can. I, I really believe that. I think I had an incredible student teacher. Um, you know, I and but when I got my master's, I had an incredible uh, mentor teacher during my student teaching that really taught me um, this wonderful gift that was to let the students teach you. Um, and that that changed my whole perspective. Shout out Wes Williams. He's still one of my favorite human beings in the world. Okay. Um, but that really led where where I went. Um, and so I remember my first year teaching uh, because of that lesson that he had taught me. I had three students in my class who got caught. Um, they had hacked into the vice principal's email mm. and were like sending emails to like people in the like people in the school and like wow. their fellow students like in a pro like things like you're expelled or things that were you know not okay right um, but i i remember being shocked that the only response from the administration was to suspend the students for like three days or something like that right um and then that was it and it was like i felt like they missed an, this opportunity to have these students assist the school with security. Like obviously these kids now understand the that the security measures we were using for our email were lackluster. And so how could they help us build that back up? Um, and while we weren't able to, you know, I, I, while I had advocated for that and it didn't end up happening, I then was able to use those kiddos as my own tech support. So when, when I had any issues, um, this was the first year the school had um, a laptop for every kid and um, they were blocking, they, they basically had like a universal ban on a lot of websites. And then you had to submit individual websites if you wanted them unblocked. Um, and so it ended up that like, there were a lot of websites that we would go to like uh, shout out to the University of Colorado at Boulder. Their FET simulations are some of my favorite free resources online. And I would have had to submit for every single one of those simulations that I wanted to use in class. Um, but instead, my hackers were able to get us in to that website without me having to submit any of that paperwork. So um, using your students' strengths, I think, was one of the things that got me through that, that crazy first year. So I want to reverse a little bit because you said something. Now, I've, I've um, interviewed, oh, I've done over 22 podcasts so far, but I have not heard of allowing the students to teach you. Or maybe I missed, maybe someone did say it, but the way that you just put it, 
like, wow, like kind of explain that ideology. Like, how do you let the students educate you, but you are the educator? Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more in depth? Like, what does that look like in the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think a lot of times um, there's this inherent power dynamic, um, you know, teacher versus student um, that I don't think is is necessary. While I think that it's you are the 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 educator, of course, needs is the leader of the space and is kind of directing. Um, but, you know, I, I think in, in grad, when I was in grad school, they called it, you know, instead of being the sage on the stage, you want to be the guide on the side. Um, and so just making sure that, you know, the students are should be in charge of their own learning. They should be in charge of their own journey. And of course, as educators, there's red tape that we have to go through too and lesson plans that we have to submit. But as much, you know, that the more power you can give to the voice of the students in front of you, the more um, the, the more joy they're going to be able to experience. And the more joy that they experience, the more, you know, you're going to have all of those positive correlations between community building and retention of knowledge and 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 all of that. So um, really just making sure that, um, you know, the students should be able to to uh to pick where they want to go and and i, I mean you're, you're there's also a generational gap usually you know maybe not in your first couple of years in education but um you know students have taught me you know i find myself a, a pretty tech savvy person no pun intended but um you know my students have taught me so much about technology because they they grew up with it and so um and, you know, the best thing about kids is they ask such incredible questions. Yeah. And so, you know, instead of saying, oh, well, that's not on our syllabus, um, you know, taking an opportunity and being like, oh, man, that's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Let's find out together. Um, mm -hmm. And so just accessing that that communal uh, learning process, I think, is important, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. So allowing the student in terms of like letting them kind of be in control of their education is allowing them to ask questions and you guys being able to work through that together is a one practical way that students can be in charge of their education. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Pretty cool. But you, and then you also, what I like, I like that you mentioned is you saw an opportunity to encourage students and pour into students like when that whole security thing went down because the typical thing is like oh they're getting expelled they're getting suspended parents getting called home the the whole nine but you saw an opportunity to you know allow them to explore their gift and their talent if you don't mind me asking why is that why didn't your mindset just go to oh they should be suspended they should get in trouble but you said they should be able to utilize a gift because obviously they have a gift, but they just have to turn it into something that's great. Use it for good. But so right. like, why, why did you, you know? Um, that actually was an incredible gift um, that I received in reading Dr. Chris Edmonds book for white folks who teach in the hood. Um, I am obviously a white woman who taught in an urban setting. Um, most of my students are black or brown um, <clears throat> and live in, Boston. And one of the things that really stood out to me the first time I read his book was he had this this 
this just now seemingly very obvious statement, which was your students' gifts can be the like thing that can be your best advocate. Um, you just have to, you know, take that moment in your brain and reframe. Um, and so, for example, you know, uh, I think he gave an example of someone like drumming on a table. Um, and instead of, you know, saying like, you like, you know, that's a disruption to this class. It's really an opportunity for you to say, wow, what a gift you have for percussion. Like, let's get you, you know, into the drum line or let's get you, do you, are you in a band, you know? Um, and just that reframe not only creates a, uh, an opportunity for community building, but also you now have this advocate because you were able to learn the skill of your student. Mm. Um, and the more you understand and know your students, um, the more likely they are to, you know, to want to be a part of the community that is hopefully being built in the room. Man, that is um, that is very powerful. What you just said, it's 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 like it has me really thinking about things in a different perspective because I remember growing up, um, when teachers will um do report cards or progress reports. Now I don't know if I can recall this being on my progress report. But I would usually like my peers would say, oh, talk too much or class clown, etc." But what if teachers just decided to say, hey, um, maybe your talking is a, you know, is a little overboard, but this is a gift that you have. Maybe you can utilize this one day to be a speaker. Or maybe you can utilize this one day to be um, a C CEO of communications or whatever the case may be. But instead of, I guess, looking at their behavior and saying, oh, you know, they should be suspended. They should be expelled. They should be in, in school suspension or detention. But looking at some of those behaviors and saying, oh, you may be a little bit overboard in the classroom or you it may not be you might not be doing it at the right time or the right place. But this is a gift that you have. Like, just imagine if that was the type of culture that schools had that that would be really cool. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, asset framing is is something that a lot of adults need to work on in their own lives and and, mm -hmm. you know, often will project onto whether it's their own kids or kids in a classroom or there's, you know, their coworkers or colleagues or friends or family. Um, and so I think we could all, we could all benefit from a little bit more asset framing. Um, so because I, I, yeah, I also talked to my students about how like, okay, your, your other teacher said you were talking too much, right? Like, let's use that. Like, just like you said, Dre, like that's a comment that a lot of kids get. And they don't actually need to talk less. They just need to figure out how to bring in more of their classmates' voices, right? It's not about like you talking too much. It's that we're a community. And so if your voice is taking up all of the space, then nobody else gets that space. But all you have, if we can just make sure, you know, as a community to asset frame and give kids, you know, the knowledge that they need and the tools that they need and the community that they need to feel safe and loved and heard, then that as you know, that asset framing can really take over and yeah, absolutely build a better community. What do you mean by asset framing? Is it 
What do you mean by that? Yeah, so it's just um, a, a concept that I that someone else taught me about. And a lot of times when we look at, like you, like you said, a report card, a lot of the comments are very deficit framed. So they're framed around something that a student is doing wrong. Um, instead of being framed around the thing that the student is doing that is positive, and then framing how can, and then thinking about how that student can grow. Mm. Um, and so... Um, that's just a different way, like a perspective pivot, you know, to kind of think about how, what this student is great. Kids are great on their own, right? Certain kids have different challenges and they may not have the tools they need to find success in various arenas. And that's our job is to help them succeed. Um, but, but kids in general do so much better when you tell them how, like, about their strengths because kids know that they have strengths um yeah. and oftentimes we just end up taking that away from them and focusing on their deficits instead of focusing on their assets right 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 and that's 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 really good stuff i appreciate you sharing that i have learned something today so far as always but that was some good information so you've been a educator so you have you been you've been teaching science for 10 years yes um i think my my student teaching year was in 2012 hmm. so yeah about 10 years okay got you got you so so far as in your mental well-being and th and this is a safe place well first can i ask you how how is your mental health um as an educator like how, how are you feeling how are you doing well if i'm gonna be completely honest um that is one of the reasons I decided to move on from the classroom this past year. Um, and I know I wasn't the only one. Right. Um, I definitely thought that I would be in the classroom for much longer. Um, unfortunately, the school I was at um, was having some issues in terms of, um, let's say, not... Um, not following procedure in terms of uh, staff retention. Um, so there were several people who were not told why they were fired. Um, and technically that is the right of the school. Um, but when you, you know, when you see something that doesn't sit right with your spirit, um, it's, yeah. it's time to move on. Um, and so unfortunately, um, as much as I love that school um, and all of my students and still, you know, I'm so excited to still interact with them. And, you know, we still keep in contact. Um, I, I just saw too many things um, in terms of my colleagues, in terms of how, you know, suspensions were being held up and, and stuff that just didn't sit right with my spirit and I needed to needed to move on. But mental health uh, it, for educators right now is is a struggle. It, yeah. it's, it's definitely a struggle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what was that moment? So was it that what was that moment for you where you said, well, now it's time for me? Well, I know you said that you was witnessing a lot of different things that was going on mm -hmm. in, in the school. But is it what was that? What was that turning moment for you where you said now it's time to leave? Like, was it just that one moment where you saw suspensions or was it just everything as a whole? Um, the, the turning point for me was that, um, I was so lucky, um, my best friend and I taught in the same classroom. We oh, co-taught. Wow. 
Um, we were so blessed um, to have that opportunity. She's um, her background's in um, nursing and special education and my background's in physics. And so we taught um, inclusion um, where we had students on IEPs and students who weren't on IEPs, students with 504s, students with uh, like um, who were in the process of learning English, kind of all in the same room um, with two teachers. Um, and it was it was just the best. It was awesome. I learned so much from her. Um, and unfortunately, she was one of the people uh, who was let go and terminated from our school with no reason. Um, oh, I think God. she was probably the person in the school that I learned the most from. Yeah. The kids thought that she was the best teacher in the school. Um, and they unceremoniously like let her go. And um, there was and there was no reason. Um, and so I think at you know, at some, at some point, and, and I think the, the context there is that, um, we taught in the same room, right? So if she was fired, why wasn't I fired? Um, and the one difference between us is that she is a black woman and I'm a white woman. And so, um, again, no reason was given as to why she was fired, but that didn't sit right with my spirit. And that was the final straw after seeing how my students were struggling um, with this, you know, a new administration and everything. That was the, the last, you know, the last straw, if you will. I can't hold you. Like hearing that makes me sad, you know, yeah. like it's crazy because, you know, we need a lot of teachers in the classroom. Yes. But you have some of these institutions that are getting rid of teachers and no reason given. And because of the color of their skin, like, yeah, that's just, that's just crazy to me. All right. But, yeah. um, so I can, I can see that. I can see that. Um, so, so now you made that transition out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, now you now can you kind of explain again now now where what phase are you in now in education because you're not in a classroom now you're you're moved on to something something else I know it's still education but can you kind of explain what is it again that you're that you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was really important to me that if I left the classroom that I was really just finding a different access point. Um, to, to assist uh, my kiddos because, um, you know, they're still as awesome as they were when I was in the classroom and, you know, their, their greatness has not changed. And um, there are, are still a lot of um, inequitable practices going on um, all over the country in, in schools. Um, and it just felt like it was time for me to try and find a way to affect change somewhere else, um, you know, find a different access point. Um, and so the access points that I chose were, well, I was very lucky to find this incredible nonprofit that I currently work for called MassQ. Um, they have been around for 40 years uh, as a, you know, a smaller nonprofit working with ed tech companies um, and, you know, tons of teachers from across the state of Massachusetts. Um, and uh, the executive director was um, ready to retire. And um, one of the goals that the board is looking for is to try and increase uh, equity since now 
everyone in the state of Massachusetts has access to a Chromebook. So all students, all teachers have access to some sort of technology. Um, right. And so this is kind of our moment uh, at MassQ to step up and, uh, you know, be the professional development that everyone is looking for. So that was, you know, my first access point. And then my second was, um, it was really important to me to go back to school and, uh, you know, get my learning on and read the books that I haven't read and the articles about education that I haven't, you know, been looking at. Um, And so I was very lucky to be accepted into this program at at UMass Boston, um, where I have some really incredible professors um, and some absolutely incredible classmates doing some really, really important research um, in the state of Massachusetts. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. That's really great. That's great. So as a, I want to make sure I say executive director. Yes. Wait, when you said equity, what, educate me, what do you, what do you mean by equity? So um, from, from our perspective, um, one of the things that, so when, when our nonprofit started out, um, there, we were really just like, okay, who needs support with technology? Um, and at the time, it was schools that had technology. Um, right. And so that's really um, what the nonprofit kind of focused on. And that ended up being mostly schools in um, wealthy suburbs that served predominantly white students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so post pandemic, that landscape is very different. You know, everybody had had to have technology because that was the only way to connect um, for so long. Um, and so with that shift and and the recognition from this nonprofit before I was there that, you know, we're not serving everybody in Massachusetts. You know, our name is MassQ, standing for Massachusetts Computer Using Educators, and we're not serving everybody. So what do we need to do in order to make that happen? Um, And so we're in the process right now really of just asking that question. So we have a massive survey that's out on Twitter for any educator in Massachusetts to fill out. And that's paraprofessionals, special educators, librarians, media specialists, principals, tech directors, social workers, anybody, any anybody in the education setting can fill this out, um, really so that we can see what people are looking for when it comes to professional development for their population of students. And then what are they looking for in terms of like m- membership benefits and community when it comes to a nonprofit like ours? Um, and mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to see from that um, what people need from us um, so that we can kind of pivot um, to be more equitable and serve more teachers across Massachusetts. Okay, so basically you guys, okay, got you, got you, got you. And in terms of PD, um, professional development, have you, do you have a scope of any of what, what teachers are looking for in terms of PD so far? Since it's, since it's been released or have somewhat of an idea? Yeah, so the biggest things we're seeing is that the traditional method of PD um, may not be really what teachers want right now. And so when I say traditional, I mean, um, you know, <clears throat> we run a weekend boot camp where any teachers who want to can come in person and, you know, go to sessions that they want to and learn about technology. Um, integration. Um, 
first of all, the in-person thing is, you know, not really what people are looking for anymore. Um, if they can sit in their pajamas on their couch because teaching is exhausting um, and still get all the things that they would if they were in person, then that's something that, you know, teachers are going to prefer. Um, and that's what we want to provide these, you know, exhausted educators. That's that's absolutely something we want to give them. And then also um, from the administrator perspective, um, admin is uh, like principals and vice principals and tech directors are really looking for for more um, individualized approach to professional development based mm. on like our school, like or our district, you know, like we, we're really looking at the opportunity to say, okay, let's just throw a virtual, um, a virtual professional development for students who teach, um, uh, sorry, from, for educators who teach students who are still learning English, right. Mm -hmm. Um, who are multilingual, like, let's just throw a, a thing just for them. You know, um, there's so much technology out there that can assist you if you're teaching multilingual learners. Well, let's talk about that. Let's find, a, you know, an awesome educator in Massachusetts who's doing dope things for multilingual learners and let's elevate them, train them, and then have them teach even more, you know, teachers of multilingual students. Um, or let's focus on teachers who teach students with special needs or um, teachers who teach uh, students who are hard of hearing or whatever that, you know, that thing is, that niche component. Um, let's just talk about science or let's just talk about kindergarten or, you know, uh, early ed. Like, let's just focus on technology for early educators. Um, whatever that niche is, um, people are looking for something that's catered a little bit more towards them. So more individualized, not generalized type deal. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting you say that because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes I see people post these posts about how boring professional development is and how irrelevant it is. Or they say some schools might hire people who never taught in a classroom before. So I just hear a lot of different things um, yeah. about what they don't want. And just hearing some of that information, you said like, wow, we really live in a society where, hey, if I can get PD at home, <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, Let's so, do it. so there, so I, it's, it's just, it's just, um, it's just a different time that we're really, that we're really living in. So. Yeah, but, actually something, something you just said real quick, Dre, um, made yeah. me think of a, of another thing that I think um, is so important when we're thinking about professional development is that we we always talk about professional development without talking about best practices for teaching. Um, like my, my one of my pet peeves is going to a professional development and ha where someone is talking about a strategy and mm. then they're not using that strategy uh. like while trying to teach me, for example, what. <laughs> I, I go, I've been to a bunch of things where they're like, oh, you really need, in, if you're teaching science, you really need to use, you know, a project-based, inquiry-based approach, you know, no lecturing. And this is in the process of them lecturing to a bunch of teachers for like 45 minutes, like while talking about how lecturing doesn't work, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think that 
that's another thing we need to look at is, is we got to practice what we preach because we preach a lot as educators. So yeah. let's, let's practice it when we're talking to teachers too. So, and when you say project-based learning, is that where students are more, it's more activity driven, no lecturing at all? Um, I think form? there's, there's a, there's a time and place for short lecture, like, of course, um, especially based on, you know, how little time teachers actually have in the classroom. Um, mm. But especially when it comes to, well, really any subject, but especially science as, you know, as someone who taught science for 10 years, right. it, it, we don't, science isn't done by lecturing. That's not, that's not what science is, right? Science is active, um, you know, investigating, answering questions, posing problems and solving those problems. And and so just making sure that that experience is happening for kids. Mm, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Now that was, uh, that's crazy. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> the way you put that, like practicing what you preach type deal, that was, that was interesting. I kind of want to piggyback on you said something that kind of resonated with me. And just to be transparent, I went through um, the IP K through 12. I think my, my IP was a, I just requested for my records. It said that I had a mild intellectual disability, like a learning disability. Okay. And so I want to ask you, because you've taught students with um, just students, you know, in a big classroom setting, I'm assuming this, and then mm -hmm. you taught students with IP. Am I correct? Okay. Yes. So what is the difference or what was that difference for you personally? Was, was there any difference for you in terms of, you know, teaching in a bit where it's a bigger classroom versus students with IEPs? Like how, how, what, like, how was that for you so far as like from um, a teaching standpoint? Yeah. The first thing I'll say is I do not have like any certifications in special education. I was always co-teaching with a special educator. Um, so gotcha. I just want to put that out there that yeah. this is not my background. These are just some experiences and things that I learned. Okay. Um, and the, the number one thing that I learned is that for, so for when you're teaching a student on an IEP, they have accommodations um, that they basically you need to accommodate them so that they can best receive this education. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the students I I had had just this list of accommodations that we need to do in the classroom. But when you look at those accommodations, a lot of times they're just best practices for everybody. So mm -hmm. really, I ended up from my smaller settings where I was co-teaching <clears throat> And I was using these accommodations. I ended up changing my practices in my general ed classes mm. because those are just best practices and they work for everybody. So yeah. if if anything, I think that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about inclusion and, you know, making sure that IEPs are done, you know, properly correctly maybe we need to revisit you know that process as well and and i am no expert on any of that i just know that from my own experience when i accommodated those students it helped everybody regardless wow. of whether or not they had an iep yo that is really cool so you kind yeah. of flipped the script a little <laughs> bit like you hey these are just accommodations that all students can use and it worked out I, okay, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. 
And so now you're in your doctoral program and you say you're learning so much. Did you just enter it? You just got into the doctoral program? Yeah, I took a couple of courses um, before I applied just to like make sure that this was the program I wanted to go into. Um, so I've taken a couple of courses already. But yes, um, technically, my first semester was uh, this past summer. Okay, nice, nice, nice. All right, sounds good. Do you um well before we before we leave up out of here on the schoolhouse podcast, I want to um ask you, do you have any encouraging words for educators? Anything that you can leave with? Oof. Um this is a rough time in education. Um education is at a crossroads. Um, and so if you're an educator out there, just know that you are not alone. Um, find your people, find your community. Um, and just, I, I know that everybody gets into education for the, I, I like to believe in the, in the positive, in the, in the incredible educators that we have across this country. And it's about the kids. It's just about the kids. Um, and so make sure that you're refilling your own cups so that you can, you know, pour from it because you can't pour from an empty cup. And that was something that my community of teachers that I found in my school that lifted me up, reminded me of on an everyday uh, basis. So that's what I would say. And I like that, that that last part for sure. You cannot pour from an empty cup, you know, because. I, I'm not in education yet. I'm still in my undergrad, but just being on this podcast and being in different Facebook groups and seeing different educators when they post how they're always doing lesson planning and how sometimes their work carries over in the weekend, over, over the, in the weekend. But, you know, if you're running, 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 eventually you're going to get tired and then you burned out and you're like, I yep. don't want to do this anymore. When yes. it's just like kind of finding that healthy um, place where you say, okay, this is the time that I rest or or do something that you enjoy, do something that you love so that you can mentally be prepared. Because if, if the educator is not refreshed and mentally, you know, in a good place, then how are the students going to get the best version of the educator? It's going exactly. to be hard when, you know, when you don't refill your cup. So, I just wanted to kind of put more emphasis on that because I think that is very, very important mental health. So, but thank you so much for coming on the schoolhouse podcast. It was a joy having you as a guest and I'm pretty sure the audience has learned a lot, especially when you talked about students teaching the teachers, then you talked about the accommodations and how you flipped it. I thought that was really, really cool. And then just hearing about some of the, the things that teachers want where they feel like they can be, prepared professionally because you're saying, you know, based off data, at least, you know, where you're at, the traditional way is just not, you know, really the best place um, to get professional development. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Dre. This was awesome. And um, your future students are incredibly lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you enjoy the rest of your evening and thank you once again. You too.